Well, hello and welcome to our online campus. My name is Chris Franklin and I am the children's pastor and I'm so excited to be able to share with you today a lesson from God's Word. And today I want to talk about a Sunday school lesson that I learned a very long time ago. In fact, I don't remember if it was at a vacation Bible school, a camp, or actually in Sunday school, but it's super simple. And I imagine that many of you have heard this exact same lesson taught the exact same way. But, you know, from time to time, we could all use a little reminder now and then. The title of our sermon today is, I've Got the Joy. So if you read ahead or somebody told you that was the title of the sermon, you may assume that we're going to be talking about different things in our life that bring us happiness or the joy that can only come from the Lord. But if you thought that, you would be incorrect. And if you actually look a little bit closer at the title, you'll see that the word joy is in all caps. And thus the Sunday school lesson that I learned many, many decades ago. It's super simple and I could actually give you the entire lesson in one single sentence, but where would the fun be in a sermon that was only one sentence long? So here it is. Jesus, others, you. That's it. It's very simple. If you put those in that order, then you will have joy. If you put Jesus, others, and you in that order, you're going to have joy. So for our time today, we're not going to focus as much time on that first letter, J. I would imagine that most of you would say out of the three, Jesus is the most important of all. And if you don't think that, I would invite you to sign up for our next Bible boot camp, get involved in some type of ministry. We would love to tell you more about why Jesus is the most important of the list. So making Jesus, even if we don't do it the best and we don't do it all the time, putting him first, that's not really the main issue. It's the other two that I want to focus on for our time today. We live in a time and a culture where many, many people, and dare I say the church, gets that order a little bit messed up. And if you don't think so, here, let me give you just some very, very surface examples about what I'm talking about. Go to any grocery store, go to any chain store, whatever, look at the parking lot. You're going to see dozens of of shopping carts that are just sitting right out there. They're not in the cart return. They're not up by the store. Somebody parked and they're like, you know what? Somebody else's responsibility. They can do it. My time's more important than theirs. That's what they have cart people for, just to get those for me. Or maybe even in traffic. Have you ever been in a situation when you're driving in traffic and All of a sudden, out of nowhere, a lane is closed, whether it be for construction, which never happens around Greenwood, or whether it be from an accident or something like that. And everybody in the lane you should be in tightens up. They're like, well, I'm sorry, but where I'm going is way more important than where you're going. And I'm going to get there five seconds before you do. Or one of my my actual biggest pet peeves is people who litter or littering. And I don't think there's a better example of not caring about others than it is about littering. About two or three weeks ago, I was sitting in a Starbucks waiting for my wife 
to bring out my go-to drink and iced coffee. And I just kind of look over and there's a guy sitting in his car, literally emptying trash out of his car onto the ground. Just, you know what? It's somebody else's responsibility. They'll take care of it. I don't really care. Or how many times have we, you and I, just been walking and we've maybe stepped over a piece of trash or something very much like that? Or another example is door dings on my car. I know it's windy sometimes, folks, but the looking at your surroundings, thinking about other people, there's example after example after example. And again, these are just very, very much surface levels. It is not my intention to call out specific behaviors because I know there are, ex- there are exceptions to all of them, especially when it comes to the driving one. If you live in Greenwood and you're on Smith Valley Road in front of Greenwood High School going towards 135, all of you know that left-hand lane is a turn only. And so don't try to speed up and cut off because that's being more selfish than me not letting you in. So unless I see an out-of-state plate plate on your car, probably not going to let you in. So as we continue our mixtape series, I was given the, 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 the option to preach about something I'm passionate about, which I always enjoy. And the thing I am really, really passionate about is serving and putting others First, And so the majority of our time that we're going to spend today is not going to be focused on serving opportunities right here in the church, especially children's ministry serving opportunities. But if at the end of our time today, you are so convicted that you want to serve in kids ministry, maybe you want to be a small group leader in our kids ministry, I would love to talk to you. So you can email me, call me, stop me in the hall, anything I would love to chat, but that's not why we're talking today. I am convinced that one of the main, main reasons or issues that is broken in society today, and perhaps maybe even broken in the church, is that we get that order a little bit wrong. The Jesus, others, and yourself. Because, you know, if it's not broken in the church, there would never be a shortage of volunteers. Ministries would never go unfunded. Needs would never be unmet, and so on, and so on. And don't get me wrong, being selfish, being self-centered, putting our needs above others, that's not a 2021 thing. It's been going on for a long, long time. If you look at Luke chapter 22, the account of the Last Supper, as Jesus is eating with his disciples the night before he's crucified, this is the discussion. In verse 24, it says, also a dispute arose among them to which was considered the greatest. And I'm sure Jesus is thinking, yes, this is the time we really need to talk about this. If you read ahead into verses 26 and 27, this is how he answers. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as one who serves. Jesus, the greatest of the great, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, did not come to be served. He did not come to rule. Jesus came to serve. That fact actually floored many of his followers because there were no examples of this 
prior to this in history because leadership and being a servant are seen as two polar opposite things. A leader doesn't serve. A leader has people to serve them. Yet Jesus says, put the order right. Jesus, others, you, put that in order. Put others before yourself. In the book of Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, we hear just a little bit of description about who Jesus is. I'm going to read it for you. It says, Jesus, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. The Greek the Greek word there used for taking is Jesus took the very nature of a servant. That was part of his DNA. That was who he was. It could not be separated. But then the same, a different Greek word for being made in human likeness is something very temporary. It's something that can be taken off and putting on. Jesus, his very nature is a servant. This, this is what I want to spend our time today talking about. And our text is from the Gospel of John. And if you know much about the Gospels, you're going to know that it's a little bit different than the other three. You have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are known as the synoptic Gospels, which essentially means they're very similar. But John looks at things just a little bit different. And our time today, we're going to be looking at the account from John chapter 13. And oddly enough, it comes at the same event that we talked about in Luke chapter 22, Yet John looks at the event a little bit different and records some things that the others do not. As we look at our text today, it can be divided into essentially three sections. You have verses 1 through 5, and that's where Jesus washes all of his disciples' feet. And then you have verses 6 through 11, and that's the account where Jesus encounters Peter. And and Peter stops and he's like, no, Jesus, don't wash my feet. And Jesus says, I have to wash your feet. And then Peter says, well, okay, instead wash my whole body as well. And then in verses 12 through 17, the last part, that's when Jesus gives his uh, explanation or he expands on, here's why I did what I did. For the sake of our time and the setting that we're in, we're going to omit verses 6 through 11. And it's not because I don't think there's any value or that I think it's important or anything like that. It really is. But the reality is it could be a whole entire sermon by itself. So just for the sake of time, we're going to omit that. The majority of what we're going to talk about is that final section when Jesus talks to his disciples and explains everything that just happened. But before we get there, we need to read and hear what he did. So I'm going to be reading from John chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. It says this, It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that he had wrapped around him. Now let me set up a little bit of context for you as we start to unpack that. It's a little bit out of our culture and our comfort zone to wash one another's feet. And 
it doesn't count getting a pedicure, ladies, or men. It's totally different than that. The land of Palestine was rough. It was dusty. It was dirty. And so that was just when it was dry. It typically rained. And when it rained, it would rain a lot. And the streets, those dusty, dirty roads would become muddy, filthy, thick roads. And it was often mixed with sewage. And so when travelers would go from area to area, they would either wear sandals or oftentimes they would just be barefoot. Because, and then when they entered into a house or a tent, one of the very first things they did was they would have to wash their feet. And this was especially true if that house had an upper room, because in that upper room, it likely had carpet. And so shoes simply were not allowed and they had to wash their feet before they went. And so if in your house, you have the rule that you can't wear shoes, you can take comfort in knowing this was the rule for Jesus as as well. And when feet were washed, it would typically be done by the individual themselves, or if the house that they were entering had servants, a servant would wash the feet as they came in. And it was considered the lowliest of tasks. And it wasn't even just any servant that did it. It was like, that's something for the youngest, somebody that I, somebody that's the least trained or the newest or the lowest of the low, they would be commissioned to wash the feet of people that came into the house. And if you remember back to Luke 22, it's not hard to start to wrap your mind around or realize Jesus could have done this as a direct response to that conversation the disciples were having about like, hey, who's the greatest? Who is the greatest among you? So instead of telling the disciples the answer, he shows them the answer. And he summarizes his ministry in one act with a bowl of water and a towel. So we're going to skip past, as I said earlier, the next few verses. And I want to focus on, for our time, on verses 12 through 17 from John chapter 13. It says this, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you as an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And as we unpack that, I want to look at those verses and pull out three different truths. The first one I see comes from verses 12 through 14. It's basically this. The first truth is this. Jesus sets the example. I mean, Jesus sets the example for all of us. And if you think back to the Old Testament or to the Jewish nation, the people of God were oppressed. They were enslaved. They were mistreated so on, whatever. And oftentimes it was by their own disobedience or their own doing, but their history is shrouded in suffering. All around them, nation after nation arose, leader after leader arose to power and prominence. And through it all, God was speaking and was present. All along the way, they were promised a redeemer. There would be a time that one would come and rule and save once and for all. And then almost as if without warning, God was silent. 
There was a period of time for more than 400 years that God was silent. Think about 400 years. That's 20 to 30 generations where there is no word from God. Think about 400 years in our world today. For you and I, that's looking back to 1621. How well are we connected to what happened in 1621? If you put it in perspective, just one year earlier, that's when the pilgrims came over to the Americas. That is a long, long time ago in their history. And God was silent. But at the end of the silence, Jesus was born. And in the midst of the words of Isaiah chapter 9, the prophecy and promise of what was written and what was true was burned on the hearts of God's people. I want to read that for you. And it's a very familiar passage, one we typically read and hear at Christmas time. It says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So after 400 years of silence from God and still looking for an earthly king, one to rule and overthrow the governments, especially after knowing these words from the prophet Isaiah that really read more like a battle hymn, Jesus is born. Yet instead of using a sword, he takes off his robe, he takes off his outer clothing and washes the feet of his disciples, perhaps the lowliest of tasks. Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. Even though he was both fully God and fully man, he came, he was, and is a servant. In the book of Mark, chapter 9, verse 35, we read these words. Sitting down, Jesus called his twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and a servant of all. And then later in chapter 10, verses 42 to 45, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentile, they lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so much with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Again and again, example after example, Jesus models servant leadership. He models putting others first. I'm sure that all of you can think of examples in your life of people like this. Might even be a CEO of a a large company or a large corporation. Maybe they still take their own trash out, clean their own bathroom. They're willing to do whatever. There is no task that is beneath them. They do not consider position as status. This is what Jesus did. You know, just a few weeks ago, we had our church camp, which so excited to be able to be back at camp. It was at the beginning of our week of camp this year, I got a text from Mike Sheely, and no, I did not ask him if I could say this, and he doesn't even know I'm going to talk about this, but he sent me and a couple others a text because Mike is so great, he can do two camps at once. He was away at a camp for 7th and 8th grade, and then he was coming later in the week for his camp for 5th and 6th grade. But the text he said simply said this, So far today, dot, 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 I have plunged and cleared 
six clogged toilets in the guy's dorm. He then included a hashtag as if he thought I would search for other examples of this. And he said, hashtag seriously boys, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Now, there's two things about that text that should not surprise anyone. The first one is that it was a camp with middle school boys and there were clogged toilets. Should not surprise you. But the second is, shouldn't surprise you that Mike took care of it. I don't want to heap too much praise on him, but I've known him for more than 12 years and he is a great example of what it is to be a servant leader and doing whatever needs to be done. He didn't text us and say, seriously, when is the camp going to come and take care of this? I have important things to do. I don't know if they know this or not, but I am Mike Sheely. He didn't do that. He took care of it. He does did what needed to be done, and he simply passed it along to a few of us with a humorous reality of ministry that sometimes it's not all glitz and glamour, and sometimes in ministry you're going to need a plunger. So he sent that message, and he took care of it. And on a very little side note, if you're one of the parents of those middle school boys, it might not hurt to go on on a gift card for Mike, but I'm just saying. You know, when Jesus saw the moment, and he knew what he needed, he needed a bowl of water, and he needed a towel to teach his disciples what it meant to lead, what it meant to put others first, what it meant to get the order right. And so Jesus sets the example, but then he gives further instructions. In verses 15 to 16, we are to follow his pattern. That's the second truth I pulled out of that text. We are to follow that pattern. As we unpack that, please understand it's not about changing behavior. I don't want you to walk away from this message and think, man, I've left my shopping cart right by my car before. I need to change that. Or I need to be more present about looking for trash around me. Or maybe I don't need to door ding Chris's car when I'm parked next to him. Although if that one changes, I would be greatly, greatly appreciated. The challenge is not to change our behavior. The challenge is to change our attitude. And as evidence of that attitude, the behaviors will change when we put other people above ourselves. So following the pattern of Jesus isn't about doing more. It's about being more. It's about being more of a servant. And Jesus says, you should also wash one another's feet. And when he says this, the tendency is to look at it as those words literally. However, it's not the act itself, but the example of what Jesus says. And I can see that, and I know that some of you are like, whew, I am glad you're not going to tell me that I have to wash other people's feet. That's not what we're saying. When I went to Bible college, uh, we had a once a week devotion in our dorm. And one night we went in and I already knew what was going to happen because up at the front I saw a bowl of water and I saw some towels and I immediately thought, oh no, here's what's going to happen. And to say it wasn't awkward to have someone wash your feet or for me to wash someone else's feet, I would be lying. I didn't love it. It was not a watershed moment in my life. It was just simple. It was honest. And as much as I didn't like it, that's exactly what Jesus was teaching. Serving others is not about us. It's about their needs and elevating them above ourself. Earlier in, the, in our time, I mentioned that 
I didn't want to talk a lot about serving opportunities right here in the church. However, I do want to share just a few things with you, especially since we, and quite honestly, just about every church that I could possibly think of that's coming out of the COVID-19 era into a new reality, there is a deficit in volunteers in just about every single ministry area. And it's understandable why. If you look at literally every store, every restaurant, every shop, you're going to see a help wanted ad because there is a deficit. People aren't working. People don't want to be there. People don't want to serve, etc. There is a deficit in just about every area. So for the next few minutes, I'm going to take off my children's ministry hat. Not that I was ever wearing one, but I want to take it off just in case. We are talking not about kids ministry right now. Talking about ministry as a whole, ministry at church. And I want to say this, if we, that's you, that's me, if we want to get back to the church that we were, and dare I say, if we, that's you and me, want to become better than the church that we were, then this church, you and me, are going to need to grow significantly in the culture of serving. If we're going to become a better church than we were a few years ago, we are going to need to grow significantly in the culture of serving. And quite honestly, the culture of serving right here. I've been on staff for a long long time. And I've seen the stereotype of volunteering play out again and again and again, where the old rule of 20% of the people do 80% of the things around church. And I've seen year after year, week after week about families and people that show up and just expect someone else to do it. Well, the coronavirus has done something almost universally across church and volunteering in other areas. It's done a few things. First of all, We don't have 20% of the people doing the work. We don't have 20% of the people serving. We have far, far less. And the second thing that the shutdown of the world created, it created a natural off-ramp for people that were serving. So not only do we not have 20% of the people, we're not getting everyone back. There is a deficit everywhere across the board. And I've said it before and I've said it again, and I'll say it again in this setting and any others. In children's ministry, we have the greatest children's ministry volunteers on the planet. We have the best. It is an amazing, amazing team. And I know know I'm not the only one at Mount Pleasant that could say this, but we would love to do more. We would love to be able to minister better to your kids. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this. Because serving at the local church does not mean someone is a servant. It's simply evidence of an attitude. It's evidence of what's happening in the way that God has changed us to put others ahead of us. You know, I also know that many times when it comes to serving at church, there can be some confusion. Who do I talk to? Where do I look? How do I even begin? So the easy answer is to simply not do anything or not be involved or just realize, hey, somebody else is going to do it. Well, today is your lucky day. I and we are going to make it super, super simple for you. On our webpage, mpcc.info, on the very first page, scroll down to upcoming events. You're going to see a box right there that says connection point. 
we have moved connection point away from the group classroom setting to an individual in an online setting. That's your starting place. That's your on-ramp, if you will, to serving. So to answer the question, who do I talk to, where do I look, or how do I even begin, you simply click one button and you can begin right there. So as we continue to unpack those verses and unpack that example that Jesus says, he sets the example, we are to follow his pattern. And the third truth I see is this. It comes straight out of verse 17, and I'm just going to read that for you. It says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So quite simply, the third truth is this. If we follow the example of Jesus, we will be blessed. You know, when we serve others, that's how it works. Rearranging the order, putting others ahead of ourselves. It's not an obligation. It's not a box to check. It's not a prerequisite or anything. It is a blessing to serve you will be blessed by doing so. And I can think of example after example in my life of ways that I've been blessed. And hey, since I thought about them, I'm going to tell you a couple of them. One of my favorite, favorite opportunities to serve is right here in our own parking lot at our Impact Center. Ever since we began our food ministry and clothing ministry many, many years ago, the food ministry started at a house down the street. That house is no longer there. Our clothing ministry started at a house right next to the Impact Center on a street that no longer exists. I've been a part of that since almost day one, whether it be giving devotions, whether it packing food, sorting clothes, or whatever it is. Or my favorite one right now is being able to load cars as they come in and they drive in for food. It is one of my favorite, favorite things, whether it be the relationships that I have, the conversations that I am a part of, it brings me such joy. I don't, I, I got to tell you, I don't wake up on Thursday morning and think, oh, I can't wait to serve today because it's going to fill my cup. But it happens every single time. I've also been a part of many different mission trips. Every one of them has had a different impact on my life. I can think of a couple that really stand out. In 1998, I went to Honduras. And while there, we had to build a house on top of what they call a hill. I would call a mountain, but there's no road up there. So we had to carry everything up, including the buckets of gravel for concrete. And that was a lot. And in the midst of it all, I was commissioned to put on a metal roof of another house in another part of town in the Honduran heat. Because when one looks at me, nothing says I'm a professional roofer than this. And so it was, it was exhausting. And then fast forward to 2009, we went on a mission trip to El Salvador and we did children's ministry groups all around the city. And from, it seems like literally from the moment the plane landed till the plane took off, We were always going, always going. There was no downtime. It was mentally, physically, and emotionally absolutely draining. I can't think of another thing in life that has been like that. It's been close raising teenagers and young adults, but nothing quite to that level of that intensity. But as I look back on it, what a tremendous blessing it was to serve others and help others in, a, in an area that they needed that so, so much. You know, I've, I've, there's no fancy vacation I could ever take that could compare to the impact that those mission trips or mission trips 
make on my life. And another example I think of is kids ministry. There is nothing like it. Have I told you I love kids ministry? It fills my cup each and every weekend, each and every camp, each and every event. But you know what I see as a bigger blessing even than that? It's the generational impact of our ministry that it has on so many. And you can see evidence of this through, maybe it's a middle school student asking their children's ministry small group leader to baptize them, or getting an invite to a graduation party for a kid that you did their baby dedication just a few years ago. You know, just just last month, I stood in the back of our student ministry center as we had over 150 high school students that were preparing to go to move or their camp experience. And I just stood there and watched And Somebody came up to me and they asked me if I ever appreciate the fruit of my ministry as so many of those students were part of the generational impact of our kids' ministry. I do. It is such a blessing. John chapter 13, verse 17 says, Now if you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And I know this, I am not the only one. I imagine you and many others could could have story after story about how you've been impacted or you've been blessed by serving others. It may be relationships, it may be lifelong friendships, or simply the pure joy that can only come from, come from God by rearranging the order and putting others ahead of ourselves. Jesus, others, you. Put them in that order and you will find joy. What is God challenging you with today? How can you serve Jesus better by serving others? Jesus set the example. We are to follow the pattern. And if we follow the example of Jesus, we will be blessed. Let me pray for you. Father God, we count it a privilege to serve. Thank you for the example of Jesus. Thank you for his his continual servanthood heart. We thank you for that so much. We love, love, love you so much. Challenge each and every one of us to serve you better by serving others. We thank you for the way that you love us. We thank you for this church. I thank you for this church, a serving church. Challenge us, move us, help us to display that each and every day, each and every week. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless.